Hello and welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. In this episode, we have for you a conversation with Fergus Liam, who is the North American Marketing Manager with Ritchie Design. So we have a great conversation about Ritchie, the company, all of the different things that they do from frames to components and Tom Ritchie, the founder, but also a lot about Fergus's background, how he found a love for the bike and how that eventually led to his career in the cycling industry. Also his uh, nearly decade-long career as a bike courier in San Francisco. So awesome conversation. Fergus is a super cool guy. We were really grateful that he was able to catch up with us and spend some time with us on the podcast. Um, Everybody, thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate that. Um, If you're able to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you find the show on, just hit that subscribe button. It doesn't matter if it's Spotify or Apple or whatever. There's a function in order to do that, and that helps us grow the podcast. Uh, We have been hearing from you, so please continue to do so. Engage with us on social media. Shoot us emails to adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, thank you again for joining us. A quick word from our sponsor, the Spandex Panda Collection, and then on to Fergus Liam. Ciao amici, riding bikes inside postcards with friends across gentle rolling hills, stopping at cafes for a quick cappuccino or enjoying a little pizza. We enjoy our adventure no matter where our bicycle takes us. So what do we wear? Simple, something with a bit of style. Add a little fashion into your adventure. Merino is always a smart choice. It's soft on the skin, a natural material, and does not need to be washed as often as that synthetic stuff. Love to travel? Love to ride your bike and enjoy the local culture no matter where in the world you are? From adventure to a prey, we have you covered. We learn from the past to design the future. Style designed for adventure. What else would you wear? The Spandex Panda Collection. So, hey, like we've already had the chance to get to know each other a little bit on the phone, which is which is great and pretty cool. But like, I, and the last time we talked, I was like, Fergus would be just an awesome podcast guest because of your history in, in the cycling industry. So, but to begin with, like, tell us about, and I want to hear more about Richie and what you do there. But like, how did you kind of find your way into the world of bikes, and how did it become such a big part of your life? Like, how far back does that go? uh probably as young as i can remember to be honest um i i 100 blame my brother for my love of bikes you know he he's older than me and of course everything he did I, I wanted to do and so um he he was he was getting into mountain bikes and you know of course like i wanted to ride as well so um i remember wanting to ride as as early as possible but uh being the youngest and each of my brothers and I were six years apart and so it, it was a lot of time by myself and so I remember teaching myself how to how to ride a bike is this old hand-me-down BMX and then once when I figured that out you know it's just like gangbusters after that and I, I couldn't stay off of it and I remember being a kid and you know uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports would come on after cartoons, and you know, yeah, all right. So I just started watching it, and you know, I remember, I remember that year that uh, Greg won the Tour de France, and it was just like this really cool moment, you know, like oh shit. And 
you know, we had this barn that was just full of junk. And for some reason, there was like some road handlebars in there, like these old steel junk bars. And I remember taking off my BMX bars and putting those on and riding up and down the street, you know, just afterwards and just thought that was that was the coolest thing. And uh, pretty much, you know, since that time, bikes have always been part of my life one way or another, um, whether it's you know, riding to high school when all my friends still had cars or uh, not wanting to take the bus when I moved to San Francisco and, you know, buying, buying a bike here um, and then just, just snowballed. When did, at what point did it turn into a career? Uh, so when I graduated from college, uh, I went to SF State and um, I, I, I was... 22 at the time and I didn't want to get like a, a, a real job yet uh, and so I'd always wanted to be a, a bike messenger um, kind of similar thing you know like watching cartoons and then Quicksilver comes on after you know you know it's like afternoon movies I remember watching this and being like oh you can get paid to do this like all right like and so that was always kind of like a thing for me and so you know, living in SF, it's, it's one of the the pinnacles of the messenger community, at least at that time. And uh, I just started going through the phone book and got a job uh, at this company called Western. And um, I was a bike messenger for uh, 11 years. And then um, I tried to do that. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, you, I, I told people, you know, I was like, oh, I'm a pro cyclist. Like someone's paying me to ride a bike. You know, I'm doing like 50 to 70 miles a day. Uh, you know, if you can make 100, 120 a day, like that's decent. And when you're in your 20s, you know, that, that's enough. And uh, I, I did that. And then um, and then I decided that I wanted to get into the bike industry. So um, I had to start working in shops. Um, so I spent maybe a couple of years in shops. And then um, a good friend of mine from college actually worked at Richie at the time and so um he was able to you know get me an interview here and um, the role of marketing uh played into my skill set that i'd actually developed as a messenger putting on events um for a brief period of time i was president of the messenger association in sf and so all those things lent itself to the marketing so here we are yeah awesome wow. Wow. awesome and so the whole time you were a courier you were in san francisco yeah, I did it. Uh, I moved to Philadelphia for a year in 2005. Um, and, you know, it, it's such a fun city to explore. And, you know, it's there's parts of it that are just so old. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really cool city for it. Um, and then uh, I, I got my fill and then came back to SF. But, yeah, almost the whole time here. How did you manage to get up those steep hills? Well, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering that too. Like, what kind of bike did you ride? I mean, yeah, you, know, you did. Like in Calgary, where it's hilly here, but um, but downtown, our downtown where our couriers work, it's flat, right? So yeah. everybody rides a single speed. What did What did you do? Yeah, I I rode a track bike for a number of years, and then um, I when I first started, I had like a, a Surly cross check, and then and then I got into track bikes, and so yeah, I rode a fixed gear. Um, you you learn your way around the city, you know, but uh, 
you know, there are definitely times where, you know, it's, it's steep and you don't really have much of a choice. So you, you got to muffle it out one way or another. But Tyler, did you ever do the, uh, the Grand Prix that was here? You know, I did it in 2001. It was like okay. early September, 2001. Yeah. Um, I didn't do so great. I don't know. I didn't do great on those steep uphills. There was more like for like the power, like sprinters or power climbers, I would say. But, um, but yeah, I, I did it. What a beautiful course. And I mean, man, that'd be fun. If that could, that could come back. Such a cool course. I think you yeah. guys did uh, Fillmore, which is probably one of the steeper climbs. It was like, brutal. And times or something like. Oh. Every <laughs> time my my not my legs wouldn't lactate, but my arms would. You know, because you're just you had to stand up and you're pulling, pulling, pulling your bars. And yeah, yeah, beautiful race. And you know, hopefully someday we can see an event like that come back. And uh, uh, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I loved it. I love that city. It was either the second to last year of the Grand Prix. They, they actually had like a, because, you know, the pros would do like uh, the promenade for, I forget how many laps of that circuit, and they'd go out to the city and do yeah. laps of the city. And so during that time, they held um, like a relay race for messengers um, around the island in front of uh, the ferry building. So I, I did that. Um, that must have been 2003 or four when, when that happened. So kind of a cool crossover. Oh, great, great. Um, so how long uh, have you been there, Richie? Uh, we're, we're moving on to six years now. Good, good for you, good for you. Yeah, um, yeah I, I've enjoyed watching your little video series. What's it called, uh, Two Beers with Richie? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, back. How'd, that, how'd that come about? Um, it you know it's it's funny because like the brand tom is the brand you yeah. know and you know you go to trade shows uh sea otter or nabs and you know people are, are falling over themselves to, to meet him and talk to him and um he's a great voice for the brand but we also wanted to kind of branch out a little bit more and you know kind of illustrate who who richie people are and um having a, a second voice that's answering people's questions just kind of dealing with the doldrums of it um is is good and it it really was kind of a uh, a product of covid of just wanting to create um interaction with our customers more and um i do all the social media so if you if you slide into the dms i'm the guy that's answering it um facebook that kind of thing and so and then for a long time um, i was also doing the customer service uh email as well so if you wrote into our info line i was answering them and so it just made sense to basically put a face to you know the person asking those questions anyway right yeah like i was going to bring that up like being a marketing manager means a lot of different things right like so if you're at a really big company that could be directing people to do these tasks or if you're at a smaller company like richie it could be meaning that you're like you have all these hats to wear right oh absolutely you know um richie's a deceptively small company where whereas tom's boasted that uh richie has been on just about every major uh bicycle manufacturer in the world you know in some form of oe product or you know whether it's through sponsorship or what um you know if you were to come to the office it's just me and in North America, there's five 
employees and Europe has about the same, you know, we each handle our own market. But then, you know, I talked to my friends at, at Specialized and they're like, oh yeah, we have five people only working on B2C email. Like, oh, that sounds sick. <laughs> wow. Whereas like the guy that, that does all that and it's, it's a lot to juggle for sure. I mean, there's no shortage of challenges, but um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Fergus, who's that behind you? Is that Dave Weens on, on the poster there? I think Frischneck's over there. I saw that. I think. It's Don Myra. Oh, Don it's... Myra. That's right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, I'll awesome. show you some. Awesome. Like, yeah. Yeah. Give us a tour. Yeah. So Don Myra still lives in the area and he still races cyclocross locally. And, you know, I would see him out there and be like, oh, shit, Don Myra. And then, I'd come into the office and I'd have this total brain fart and people would be like, Hey, who is that? And I'm like, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I had to put a post it up and it's, a, it's a little embarrassing, but yeah, there's Don Myra. Um, he was an amazing, uh, cross rider. I remember. Didn't he win, uh, multi, multi, Oh, he still races cross. Wow. Yeah. yeah he, he was a uh, national champion. I think many years or, or certainly right up there. Yeah. Super, super talented. He'll he'll come out. He'll do the local uh, masters field, and then you know, forty minutes later, you see him in the P one two, and he's still holding his own. You know, like top ten in our elite fields. Like really, really uh, a treat to watch him ride. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. totally. So, um, yet you you alluded to the fact that uh, Richie parts have been on a whole bunch of different bikes and brands and in racing and we talked a little bit about that too like i've always thought that that was so interesting and tyler can probably weigh in on this too like how how often is there a a uh, unrepresented part on on a bike at a race like whether it's a shoe or a pedal where a rider says yeah i prefer that but you've got to you know strip off your name because of because of some other sponsorship deal and stuff like it's really like, it seems like it's actually pretty common, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, I, I'd be interested to hear Tyler's take on this too, but, um, totally. you know, you've heard stories like, like Ricardo Rico, you know, is, is infamous, not just for doping, but for not writing sponsor. Correct. You know, and I remember reading articles where they're like finding him, but he had to write a specific part for whatever dumb reason. Um, and, I've been told that Cadell Evans uh, really, really liked our neoclassic bar. And, or, no, at that time, it was the classic. And he would ride it. And so, you know, we'd have to take the logos off and, you know, he would, he would ride that bar. Um, and then more recently, uh, we had a world tour team come to us and their sponsor didn't have bar, you know, TT extensions. Like, oh, weird. Well, guess what? We still did. And we're like, yeah, you know, I don't care if our name's on it or not. I just like knowing that, like, that dude is writing our product. Like, that's cool to me. Um, yeah. But what, I mean, when you're riding pros, like, was there much leeway to to maybe say, like, hey, I don't want to ride that saddle or I don't want to ride that bar tape? Yeah, you know, it depends kind of your rank <clears throat> or your rank in the pecking order or, you know. Uh, you know, when you're a low man on the totem pole, not not really. But as you know, as you uh, became more of a like a, 
an established rider, you know, that gave you a little bit of wiggle room, you know, to make sure the sponsor was covered up. Sometimes we did that with clothing because, you know, you'd be sponsored by a certain company, but they wouldn't make a really great rain jacket. So, so maybe, you know, you, you liked a certain company and yeah, you could put a patch over it. And let's see. Um, for me, I remember, what was it? 2002, I raced on a, um, I was racing on Team CSC, and we were sponsored by Look in 2002. And yeah, you know, it wasn't my favorite bike, or maybe, maybe just uh, I'm not sure, but it, it wasn't working out that great for me. And then the Giro, I rode up on a Parley, a, a, a Look branded Parley. Oh, funny. And, uh, yeah, I knew Bob Parley. He's you know a Massachusetts guy, and um, so he he took care of me and. And look was okay with it in the Giro. I got second in the Giro, so they were all happy. And then, and then in the Tour de France, I was riding the same bike. And then halfway through, it was get it got started to get a little bit of media attention. And uh, you know, oh, look really? came yeah, and look I came in. And, yeah, about ten days into the tour, I had to switch bikes back to the look. That- yeah, Bob? so so sorry, look, and you know, thank you, Bob. So, but uh, yeah, you know, I got in a little bit. Yeah, you know, there was a little bit. Of, I guess I got in a little bit of trouble, but you know, the team supported me, Bjarne Reese supported me, and you know, but right. But yeah, you know, that that happens sometimes. But you know, I don't know what it's like today. I'm kind of far removed from the pro well, today, but yeah. Like are he's still running a Bianchi, even though the contract now is with Servilo. So they just yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, back in the late eighties, early nineties, you probably get away with like you know, Greg could continue riding a Della Santa that's branded whatever else, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah. An interesting story is uh, Eric Hayden, who rode for the 7-Eleven team. That's right. He was the only dude on a Richie. Everyone else had a Sirota that was, of course, branded Murray. And he didn't want to put the logos on because it was a Richie. And so there's photos of him, you know, lining up for these... Uh, either domestic pro races or crits on this red bike and it's a Richie until finally Murray was like, Hey man, you got to put our name on there, you know? And so, uh, kind of, kind of cool. That bike was actually hanging up in the office, uh, not too long ago. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Didn't 7-Eleven at some point get sponsored by Huffy? Yes. They were sponsored by Huffy and I don't think they were actually Huffies. I think those were all where what? I think those were also Sorotas, those Huffies. Oh, okay. okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's funny, like, two two lower end brand names, you know, sponsoring these like this routine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of old bikes, I was watching a video earlier today of you. You were walking through your uh, little conference room there. Uh huh. There, Richie, and uh, wow, some really cool beautiful bikes on display yeah. and I was you know amazed by all of them especially the one uh, that Tom brought back from from Africa the wooden one yeah interesting huh yeah can you explain a little bit about that amazing so you know not to dive too much into Tom's personal life but he, he went through some things where he kind of needed um I don't know like I guess a pilgrimage for lack of a better term and kind to hit for himself uh, personally, professionally, emotionally. And um, 
so he went with uh, a friend of his uh, to to Africa, and the guy was like, "You wouldn't believe what they're doing out here on what they call bikes." And he he saw these coffee farmers pushing basically like I don't know a very uh, remedial velocipede, you know, just like a plank with two circles for wheels and like you know r- very rudimentary steering system, and like the suspension that was built into it. And the steering uh, dampener rolled car tires. And so, like, really creative. And they're carrying hundreds of pounds of coffee, miles and miles on these things. And so, um, to Tom, one of the great unifiers between him and this Rwandan was the fact that they were both using a bicycle for one one way or another. And so... um, he was he was moved and he started Project Rwanda um, to help help the Rwandan people that you know had suffered so much uh, from genocide and what have you. Yeah. And uh, so he made he made coffee bikes uh, to basically give to these farmers to allow them to travel you know faster, better ease. So they're kind of like a almost like a Yuba, just like a long long back bike. But um, yeah, it all started with the inspiration from that 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 coffee bike that was in the office there oh that's really neat really neat yeah. um how's tom doing today uh, last time i saw him was a, it was a ride somewhere in northern california and uh he was he had already been out for i think four hours and he kind of met up with us rode with us for a couple hours and headed back home but he was out on some you know epic ride and you know yeah you know, do, doing his thing and he looked great he sounded great and yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a lot of fun. He, you know, some of the folklore that we use is, is very much rooted in, in the truth and the fact that you know, he doesn't use a, a computer or anything. He has a wristwatch that basically tells him what time to come home. And um, he puts pretty close to 10,000 miles a year on his bike. And it's always, he's always riding every day, you know, if it's, 40, 50 miles, if he wants to do longer, he does. Um, but he's he's good, you know, and he, you know, he, his last major injury was during Laroika when he, he broke his leg. And it was crazy, you know, hearing the story behind it. And then he's he's basically trying to ride his bike three days later. You know, there's like still this giant cast on and he has this like metal you know structure to support it he's already like cut it off and (laughs) he's trying to to ride you know and it's like all right you know like you're going to do it no matter what but um yeah he's good and he's definitely definitely an inspiration uh multiple levels but especially with riding i love it yeah he's a total badass riding that much every year like that's super cool but it's like like it's described even on the website like that's where he innovates right he needs to be on his bike to to create i mean i think that you know i one of my favorite things is, is a bike swap you know and it's mainly not not just to nerd out on bike stuff but the crazies that come out of the woodwork and want to talk to you about bikes and all of this and it's the thing is is like i think all of us that are in the industry and have gotten to where we are today because of the bike 
that's the great unifier. And we we think similarly. Like uh, oftentimes I find myself saying, oh, I was thinking about this on a ride the other day, or I was riding my bike somewhere and then I had this idea. And I, I think we all kind of like experience that. Um, and the bike is is a form of catharsis. And especially for Tom, it's, it's always been, you know, it started from when he was a kid and he's like, how can I make this better? Um, to when he's producing, how can I make this better? Um, and even when he has a product, okay, how can I improve it? You know, or if it breaks, okay, why did it break? And, he, you know, the gears are always turning and it's really, it's really kind of a fascinating thing to ride with him and to, to really, that's when he really comes out of his shell, you know? So interesting. So from a business side of things, like what, how much of Richie's business is actual frames and how much of its components? Is it like close or is it like, I, I really have no idea, but I'm, it's interesting to me because they, you, you make so many different cool parts. Yeah. So Barston post is definitely what, what's padding our paychecks. Um, we, there was like a brief hiatus in maybe like around 2005-ish where uh, frames weren't as much of a uh, focus for us just because we're doing so much bar stand post. Um, and then we, we brought back a full line, excuse me, um, I think it was 2014. And that was that was bringing back the Road Logic Swiss Cross. Um, we did two mountain bikes, a 29er and a 650, and then just every year, just evolving it more and more. Um, and of course, all of those bikes have very rich history with with Richie. You know, the Road Logic has been uh, largely unchanged in geometry uh, since. I want to say the mid '90s, early '90s, and then the Swiss Cross is almost the same exact geometry that Krishi rode um, his whole career. Uh, but frames are still, uh, I want to say, maybe a third of our business. We're still doing a lot with bar stem post. There's still, um, we're still doing OE for some bigger companies. So uh, that's that's really where where a lot of the money is. Interesting. And then like, how does Tom decide when he wants to convert a frame to carbon as well? Cause I know they're offered in some and some not. And, uh, but he's really dedicated to steel, which I love. I, like there is, when people say that a steel bike feels different, um, you really, especially a road bike, you really need to, to ride one to, to know what that means. Cause it's true. You know, you it's you lose that a little bit if you're like on a fat bike or something because you just all you really feel is tires. But uh -huh. um, you know, particularly on a road bike. So what so um like why like where does his commitment to steel come from? And then what and what what's made him to decide to branch out into carbon on some things? Uh steel's always been a material that he's worked in and it's it has very unique properties, right? Like the the Strength to weight is is phenomenal. It's resilience. Um, it's fatigue life is way better than alloy. So when it comes to frames, you know, it, it's really kind of I don't want to say perfect, but it's it's high up there. You know, um, the carbon bikes that he's produced, 
were I, it, I want to say it's a whim it's um he just decided i want to do this one day you know and it's not like uh you know you see trend and you're like okay cool let's jump on it because he's never been that kind of person and so the two carbon bikes that we offer are both breakaways which are important to him for traveling and specifically the way that they're designed and shaped uh he wanted them to feel as close to a steel bike as possible so sure enough like uh the carbon the carbon road logic breakaway it has that a very similar i don't know it sounds like jargon right like ride resonance but it's that feeling of like oh this feels like a bike that i could ride all day it feels like a bike that's giving back whereas you know full disclosure my favorite carbon bike is a tcr like if you want a race bike that's that's the best carbon bike on the market in my opinion um but it's very different like the tcr yeah it's thick for a 90 minute crit but you know you get out on mile 70 and it's like holy moly this thing is killing me <laughs> you know but it's a rocket ship in races and uh whereas the road logic you know put down 120 miles and oh cool i'm tired but i don't feel like my bike hates me and um those carbon frames definitely have a very similar feeling to them wow wow you know i had a uh richie breakaway bike for a while there and i absolutely loved it um you know i had to sell it and i'm i regret i regret it every day it was just a beautiful bike and uh it was so nice i mean you could it's just it packs up so nice into a suitcase like this big and boom yeah you, you can go anywhere with it um yeah, how popular are those? You know, up and down. Obviously, yeah. COVID, uh, you know, yeah. there's not much travel, but it's crazy, man. Like, I went I went back east and did a uh, Gateway Cup in St. Louis. Yep. And, you know, I'm lining up with, with these other racers, and they're looking at my bike, and they're like, hey, let's go there. Like, what's that thing on the down tube? And I was like, oh, yeah, this thing packs into a case. They're like what? I was like, I didn't pay a single thing to get my bike out here. And they're like, all right, weirdo. You know, and then I'm like, <laughs> but then I'm like, you know, I'm in the mix. I'm in the top ten. I'm contesting sprints, and people are like, oh, okay. So by the end of the series, people are looking at me like, okay, like this bike's what's up. And uh, even like, I remember traveling to Portland. You know, similar thing, doing some races up there. You know, people start to recognize, and then. Uh, I go to the airport and you know the gal behind the counter is like, Oh, is there a bicycle in there? I go, No, it's uh camping equipment. He goes, Oh, really? <laughs> I remember seeing a guy put his bicycle into a case just like this once. I was like, Wow, that's crazy. She's like, I thought it was the coolest thing. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> like no camping equipment. <laughs> but you know, when people get it, they really get it. And the the thing that I'm, I've been trying to push more and more since being here is it's not a travel bike. It's a bike that travels, right? Yeah. So yeah. My, the breakaway that I have is the, the Outback. And it's maybe been inside the case three times. But it's also a bike that gets ridden regularly. So you know, it really can be a daily driver. So really hammering that home to people, and especially uh like our last outback it sold so well 
we had the breakaway version. I was like, hey, this is the same bike. And when people realized that, that sold out too. So um, it, it, it's a matter of education, but when people get it, they really get it. And then they just appreciate the bike more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I think people's probably I mean, you tell me their their first their first impression is that they're going to be making some concession in strength or in weight or like that they're just not willing to entertain at first, right? Absolutely. You know, you look at um, you look at other coupling systems, and you know, with Richie, like uh, I was going to pull down a frame, but with Richie. There's a lot of attention paid to the budding profile. Like steel tubing is inherent to the Richie story. And so we want to maintain that budding profile because that's what gives you that excellent ride quality. If you, you know, chop your top tube in half in the middle and then you put in this massive aluminum block or steel block or whatever, that changes the stiffness profile. And so now your bike rides different. But with the breakaway system that we have you basically maintain that same down to budding profile because the butt at the bottom bracket would be a little bit longer anyway so that works the top tube is uninterrupted so that is basically the same and then the seat cluster is clamped around a, a seat post again that's the same so you have almost dead on the same exact riding bike that you would with a non-breakaway and you know, I don't want to be much of like a Kool-Aid drinker, but you know, it's like, it really is kind of a brilliant system when you break it down. Oh, it's super clever. Yeah, totally. And there's, there's also only, I think a very small handful of companies that are building something like that. Right. Right. We do, um, we do license out the kits. So it, like your local frame builder, you know, you want to get a custom and you say, Hey, I want to break away. They could call us up. We sell that. Um, oh, okay, I didn't know. Yeah, and then uh, I think Raleigh and Dahone both made a breakaway, and the mo the latest uh, frame manufacturers crust. They do like a single speed breakaway using our system. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Fergus, can we talk about gravel bikes? Yeah, all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean Pete, Pete and I spent a lot of time talking about gravel, so. Uh... Yeah, yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on all of it? How's how's all that going for Richie? You know, it's it's going really well. I think Good. gravel. I I've said it before, but the analogy that I see is gravel today is kind of what mountain was in the '80s. You know, it yeah. it's opening all these new platforms for people. Um, the layperson that's just getting into bikes, maybe they don't want to ride on the road. Well, there's plenty of dirt roads just about everywhere um and even like the old roadies right like you've you've ridden every pass but now there's again more dirt out there to be explored and uh it's really awesome i think it it's definitely changed the barrier to cycling and i, I think in a good way because it it keeps bikes kind of fun and fresh you know like you look at like road and there's so much stigma with with the road rider um god forbid you want to get into road racing like you know i don't look like any of the people that i race with and those those first few seasons were like kind of weird you know but it took a while to get established i can only imagine like for other people it's got to feel similar so um 
I think gravels, you know, it's a good category. Um, but then, you know, you talk to Tom and he's like, oh, we've been doing this since the 70s. And he'll show you photos of him and Yopes Brand, you know, out on these basically hardly walkable roads on these like 23 mil tubs, you know, and they're riding. And it's like, oh, yeah, like dirt's always been there. There's always that's always been part of the story for Richie as well. So uh, it's it's great. It's great. Awesome. So, uh, well, Fergus, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. We, we appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, hopefully when uh, things clear up, we can come ride bikes with you at some point. Oh, I um, love it. Yeah. That'd be a pleasure. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, just some of the storytelling from the inside the industry is really fun to listen to. And I think some oh, people yeah. really enjoy it, too. Yeah. 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 You know, the bike industry is a, a funny place, um, which I'm sure you guys have noticed and maybe even experienced. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, I, it's such a dumb thing. It's a bicycle, right? It's like eight-year-olds do it. But I love sure. it so much. And yeah. almost all aspects from, like, you know, uh, you know, how, how slammed is Lachlan's stem versus, like, Hey, how do they make you know a handlebar? You know all of these things, and it, it's it, it's a real treat to to be working at Richie, and um, it's a real treat to know and to meet other people through bikes. You know, like you guys, and it's such a great uh, vehicle for bringing people together. Uh, yeah. No pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's beautifully put. Well put. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited. I mean, we're in a bike boom and, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what the sport of cycling is like, you know, in two, three, four, five years, you know. Um, yeah. I, I know, like you were saying, there's going to be probably a few pro few uh, bottlenecks maybe in this next year or so. But, you know, we'll overcome those. And um, I think the sport of cycling has a lot to look forward to. Yeah. Are you, are you still do you follow much racing still? And do, do you. Do you think there would be an evolution in that there'd be more racing or different types of riding? Like, like what, what's your take on it coming from a racing background? Yeah, you know, I think there's going to be more. Uh, eventually, you know, when we, when, we, um, when we catch our breath here and um, get back up to speed, I think, yeah, we're going to have more racing, uh, you know, different racing. You know, I, we, Pete and I talk about the, you know, the gravel scene a lot. Like, we love seeing that. You know, that's just taking off. I think in... I think in five years, it's going to look a lot different than it is today. Um, and I was talking to somebody earlier today that, you know, right now, bike racing in the U.S. is kind of, uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of big races anymore. We lost a tour of California. And, um, I think we just have one big race in, maybe in Baltimore this in 2021. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised in two, three years to see some big races popping back up here in the States. And, you know, it's, uh, you know. It's up and down here in the states with races, but yeah, I mm -hmm. think with this bike boom, we'll see we'll see a lot of uh, a lot more sponsors coming in, and um, yeah, I mean I'm excited, but who knows? Who knows? You know, yeah. I live here. I live here in Montana, and uh, yeah, lots of lots of beautiful uh, dirt roads and single track, and not a whole lot of bike races here. But I think that the gravel uh, revolution and events like 
Leadville and things like that are going to continue to grow that like the quote unquote alternative mm-hmm. racing scene. Um, I, you know, I think that the, the privateer model of managing your career is going to become more and more appealing to pros. Like Tyler's totally the type of guy who would have done that if he was 28 now, you know, cause like Tyler's yeah. got a little bit of hippie in him and he would have been like, I'm going to go race gravel and you know, yeah. work for myself. Right. It looks like a lot more fun. Yeah. So I think, and, and, but the, but the cool residual effect of having that is that you can, an age grouper can go and line up with these pros at the front and that battle unfolds and you see them come back, like in a place like Leadville, you see that race happening up front and it's, it's like the marathon, right? Like anybody can go run a marathon and there's pros up there running it in, in 210. Um, yeah. And there's everybody else who it's like a bucket list goal. And that, the fact that cycling has that now, I hope that that seeps into every genre of the sport. I agree. I think that, you know, really, I think it's road that's really dominated the whole, you know, necessity to be on a team and that your personality is now tied into the team, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, we talked to Pete, Pete Stetton a couple months ago and he, um, he's really enjoying it, you know, because as being on a, on a big pro team, you know, you're limited on, on what you can do, what you can say. He just, uh, I think he was commenting on like, he likes to have a, you know, cold beer once in a while after a hard race. And, uh, you know, he wasn't able to do that. Now he can do it. Um, and uh, he can go where, where he wants, when he wants and pick, picks his own schedule. And That's really think, cool. Yeah. And he yeah. looks, honestly, he looks happier than ever, happier than ever, which I love to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe it. You know, he's he's doing great. I think the yeah. track that he's on is really awesome. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at someone like EF, and it, they're kind of letting their riders do whatever, which is kind of neat. And I think for at least the brand that the team is, it's it's showing that they're more interesting than just doing the same world tour races all the time. You know, yeah. and they're willing to like go branch out of. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, this has been great. This has been great. Yeah. Fergus. Thank you so much for doing this with us, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. What a pleasure having me. Great to talk to you guys. Our pleasure, man. Take care. All right. Chat soon. Once again, a big thank you to Fergus for joining us on the podcast. It was awesome to hang out with you and we hope to catch up again soon. Everybody, thank you for listening. We really appreciate that. A quick reminder uh, to please like, subscribe, uh, provide a positive review on whatever podcast platform you find the show. We really greatly appreciate that support. That does help us grow the podcast. Also, please go check out adventureaudiopodcast.com for news and we are planning an event for 2021 obviously covid depending but we are attempting to do so so uh, if you're interested in that please check that out adventureaudiopodcast.com or shoot us an email anytime to adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com we hope to hear from you and we will be back soon with another episode